Hey everyone, Kevin Rose here. Welcome to Proof, a podcast dedicated to the NFT ecosystem. Here we interview artists and builders shaping the NFT space with a focus on high quality projects. Now, the episode you're listening to now was actually first released on my other podcast, Modern Finance. But as we decided to kick off this show, we wanted to re-release my previous NFT episodes here so that this feed represents all of the NFT content that I've created. Now, going forward, the Modern Finance podcast will have a focus on finance, and this Proof podcast will have all of the NFT content. If you're a fan of all things blockchain, you'll want to subscribe to both shows. So with that, enjoy the show. All right, today's show is all about is all about the future of NFTs. If you own an NFT or have looked at buying one, then you've likely browsed some of the big sites out there like OpenSea or Foundation, Nifty Gateway, or even a traditional auction house like Christie's. They're now getting into the game as well. These sites, they typically offer services like NFT minting. So if you're an artist, you can mint NFTs there and auctions. But even though they deal with NFTs, they're actually built in a very traditional Web2 way, meaning they're on centralized servers, they have VC funding, and of course, their goal is to make a profit for the corporation. But given that we're in this new era of decentralized finance, Web3, and DAOs, what if instead you build NFT tools for artists and creators in a decentralized way with a DAO in charge instead of a corporation? What would that look like? Would there be better economics for the artists? And what could be done differently? These are the questions that I dive into with Tyler Ward, who's one of the creators of Universe, which you can find it over at universe.xyz on the web. Tyler and the Universe DAO are building an entire decentralized suite of tools for NFT creators. I have to say, I love this idea. In full disclosure, I will hold tokens in this project. That said, as always, I'm not telling you to buy anything here but I wanted to have Tyler on because I think he's a big thinker and this is a big idea. So with that, this is Tyler Ward from Universe. Kevin Rose and his guests are not registered investment advisors. All opinions are Kevin's and his guests alone. Nothing discussed today should be relied upon for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This show is solely for information and entertainment purposes only. Please work directly with an investment professional. So Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Also, thank you for actually putting together like a cool NFT podcast. Like I think even it wasn't even two months ago that we were saying that there isn't even like a legitimate like blog or newsletter or anything really around NFTs where people can kind of go learn and do stuff with. And it was, I think it was literally the week that we were talking about that, that you dropped that in the universe thread. And I was like, this is needed. So awesome. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. It's been fun to have all different types of guests, you know, a little bit, I'd say I try to aim for 50% NFT, 50% like general crypto stuff. Yep. So I think it's a, I think it's a good mix, but the NFT stuff is just, as you know, I mean, you're right in the middle of it. It's just nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. What's just happened in the last few months. I'd love to though, step back for a second. Give me a little bit of your background in crypto. So it's pretty It's pretty winding where like I got, I guess, to where I am working on NFTs. It's, I started working in crypto back in 2016. My, like, basically I started out and I had a finance degree. I got into investment banking and 
through investment banking, I met a lot, a lot of venture capitalists and like private equity groups, and they were investing in a bunch of software companies. So as I was kind of working through that, I naturally just got interested in software and learning about it. Started working for a couple of software groups that were more like SaaS format groups and like a product and sales capacity. And I went through a couple exits and kind of had enough money to step out on my own. So I really started playing in the arena of e-commerce. And e-commerce, like if you have a, a lot of successful e-commerce companies, like really only they really make most of their money like three months out of the year. So like in the summertime, I wasn't doing too, too much. And I got bored and ended up going into like, I got a WeWork essentially. And I saw various like advertising companies were in the WeWork. And I didn't like, I had no background like with advertising or working with ad agencies. But when I kind of saw what they were doing, it was the same way I was like making money on Facebook, like selling e-commerce products. And so I decided like in the down months, I was going to pick up clients. I picked up a couple software clients and like app clients, just kind of marketing, just basic like iOS applications back. This had to be like 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. And through that, I essentially started working with it. It was like a gift card application. They had learned that like gift cards had grown by 20,000% in, in a year. So they decided to start a mobile application out of it. Lo and behold, we find out later just off of like market testing that everybody was using like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I didn't know what Ethereum was back then. I knew what Bitcoin was to essentially sell like gift cards on because like people were buying like a hundred thousand dollar gift cards to like Amazon to get out of paying taxes essentially. Crazy. And yeah. So, I mean, we weren't doing anything wrong. We were just selling gift cards and accepting that as a payment. But I don't, I don't want to say this and like get in trouble. I don't know how it all went down because it was my client, but giftcards.com found out that we were like competing with their ad space because they had figured out the same thing. And they basically paid the guy to kind of stop doing what he was doing. And that was the end of that, at least for a month. And then probably like a month later, Joe Lubin and, and this guy named Andrew Keys, that's like super, super early Ethereum. He was like the guy that introduced Ethereum to Microsoft. They called me and they were like, Hey, we're doing this stuff with like all of these tokens and coins on top of this network that we started called Ethereum. And like back then, consensus probably had 25, 30 people. And so I was like, Yeah, I mean, I'm down to learn about it. I feel like I could, you know, sell and market whatever. I understand a lot about like financial software. But at the time, I really kind of thought it was like monopoly money. I didn't really get the point of it because like my financial background, I was like, Well, I mean, this isn't really backed by anything. I didn't understand Bitcoin. But once I kind of got to know them and flew out there and really understood what they were doing, I I really understood the nature of if you could write if-then statements into like a financial contract or even money itself, that that was there was a real power there. So it took me time to wrap my head around like what immutable and permissionless meant that that was actually a thing that you could just have a contract running that you could essentially run and you didn't have to trust like a legal contract. You just trusted the code of what the money was written into. And I was pretty much hooked after that. So like I kind of told them like, yeah, I'll I'll help you kind of put together all of your websites and help you write these white papers and kind of figure out like concepts of things that we could build as uh, use cases for this technology. 
And yeah, kind of through that, I built a lot of the brands and uh, like concepts that Consensus had through ICOs from pretty much everything that they did from like AirSwap all the way through, let's call it like foam. And then after that, I, I, I never really worked for Consensus, but for like one month, I was technically their CMO. But it didn't last too long because I told Joe and Andrew, I'm not a very good employee. I've been self-employed since I was, I mean, I started my first company when I was 19. So I didn't really want to be an employee of Consensus. And as everything started to grow in the ecosystem, I just kind of made my own network and stepped out on my own and took on my own clients. And yeah, it's it's been a long ride, but I'm not going to tell like my whole life story, but that's how I got into crypto. Yeah. And then through all of that's how I started BarnBridge, which is, it's, it's basically a fixed income derivative protocol that runs on Ethereum. And through learning about how fixed income works, fixed income on the blockchain in particular, because like when I came out of school, I was selling fixed income for a subsidiary of JP Morgan. But with, with Ethereum, when you look at tokens, you've got like ERC 20s that is, I mean, I'm, I don't think that cryptocurrencies are equities, but just to use the analogy, like if Tesla was a cryptocurrency, it would be an ERC 20 because like every Tesla share is the same. But when you get into derivatives and fixed income contracts, then things get a little more complicated because you have like maturities, you have strike prices, like not every Tesla option or every Ford AAA rated bond is essentially the same. Right. And so that's what got me into NFTs was purely on the financial basis. It, it really wasn't on the, the art component, but it was coming to the realization of anything that's not a currency and isn't an equity is an NFT when we kind of tokenize the world, or even if we just tokenize all financial assets, anything that's not a fungible currency or is like an equity is going to be an NFT. So like land deeds, like titles mm-hmm. on homes, insurance contracts, options, pretty much all derivative contracts. Those things just programmatically are very difficult to, to be anything but an NFT. I mean, they're, they're an NFT that represents a fungible assets like cash fleet, a cash stream flow. But functionally, in terms of the technology, they, they'll be NFTs. And so that's where, let's call it in end of 2019, early 2020, when I was really toying with whether I wanted to start BarnBridge or just kind of keep focusing on what I was doing in DeFi. Other than that, that, that was like why I guess I got interested in NFTs. And then I bought a whole bunch of crypto punks. And I think the punk community in Discord is what sucked me into the fun of it and the media components. But yeah, here we are now. That's crazy. So on the art side, the, the CryptoPunks was the first one that got you excited about that piece of it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I had seen... I thought Beeple was cool up to that point. I mean, I had seen other like crypto art that I would look at and I'd be like, oh man, that's a really cool looking like picture. But I mean, I... But, what I was doing with Consensus, I mean, I was building a lot of React interfaces and I had a design agency probably with 15 employees that, I mean, I had seen a lot of digital art and just having one of the bigger design agencies, design and branding agencies in crypto. I mean, we worked with Consensus, Coinbase, Near, like kind of the whole gambit of everyone. And so, I mean, I, I would look at my artist portfolios and it would have like personal work in there. So I, 
I don't know if it was that I was like more jaded. I just wasn't really blown away with the art side. But like when I saw what like punks were and I saw the community that was around them and then I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I discounted it at first, but like then I, the more I saw it and the more I liked it, the more I got hooked. And I think it was more following that community that got me more, more excited on the art side. And again, I still think my like real passion with them is probably on the financial side and like the real world asset side, but it was a uh, rack like RAC. He tweeted at one point because he was one of the guys I just followed when I was trying to dive deep and just general curiosity and learn more about like the ecosystem of what NFTs were. Cause it was completely different than DeFi. Like they almost had like their own values and their own things that they were loyal to. And so I, it, yeah, it was much, it was a lot of curiosity. And then basically I looked into, what really got me to understand the art side of it was Rack basically tweeted out that he tweeted this drum roll that's on all of these songs. And I, I forget what the actual drum roll is. Like, I wish I knew it off the top of my head. But yeah, basically this drum roll has been like ripped and put into all of these various songs throughout the, I mean, it's, it, the song hasn't even really been around that long, essentially. And it just played like how many songs it was in. And it was like, well, what if you could like own that small chunk of that song? Or if you tokenized the whole song and you were to like fractionalize it. And I knew about fractionalized art before that. I worked with like Singular DTV and like decentralized media, like leading up into that. And I kind of knew some of that was, you know, going to have some like regulatory issues essentially. But yeah, that was... That was the first thing that really made me realize, okay, I get digital art now and like why you would want to own a one-off piece of it. And can you speak to that fractionalized art? What, what, what has started there and where, what's the current state of the union when it comes to people owning a piece of something on the blockchain? Well, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an attorney and I mean, I, I think I'm inherently like super bullish on that conceptually, but I probably, would not do that myself as like an American citizen. I, I, I think conceptually, well, first of all, it, it shouldn't be illegal. I mean, like the, the ability to take a piece of your artwork and share it in a bunch of pieces, like the fact that it's digital and fungible, like what, what really makes the difference is if I, my grandmother's an artist and she paints these pictures called triptych paintings that are like these impressionist artists will take a canvas and it's like a square canvas and they'll, they'll slice it into three canvases, but it's all one painting and they'll sell it as three different canvases. And like that doesn't make it a security. So I don't know, like I, but I, I'm not going to war with the government over that battle. I think inherently the tech is amazing and it gets me excited, but there's a lot of things about crypto that are amazing and get me excited. And yeah, I think my experience with consensus is, you know, I've, I've dealt with like their conversations with the SEC. I've pretty much talked to every single legal group that works in crypto from Perkins Cooey to Cooley. And I guess I would say that it makes me really excited conceptually, but I, I'm not going to be the guy that goes to market with a fractionalized NFT platform. Yeah, that's interesting that they're saying that they should be treated as securities. You know, I've seen a, a handful of groups that are doing this on the like trading card, the physical trading card side, where they'll say, we can hold this trading card in a vault. We're going to tokenize it, fractionalize it, 
and you can own you know a small one one thousandth of a Michael Jordan PSA ten if you want to, right? So it's I I don't see why that wouldn't be applicable to the digital side as well. If you lock up a piece of art in some smart contract and then fractionalize it, I guess the only the hardest part is figuring out when you can exit. I mean, there's real time liquidity, I guess, if you're trading and selling out to other people, but no one can really buy the whole thing at once or force buy it. Anyway, well, do you I have would, to do you have to be an accredited investor to do that with the cards? Because um, no, interesting. But um, maybe it's because if there's actually trading as real, you know, like a real asset, like a hard asset versus something that's on on chain. Who knows? Not playing around in crypto, like we know that we're in a highly regulated space. At least like the people who have been in it a long time, like me, and like I don't want to ever be the Debbie Downer to be like, yeah, you you really can't do that, but. I think, I think some of it is also like, how successful was that company? Did they have high powered attorneys and would the SEC have ever even found out about them if it wasn't like a right. use case of NFTs? There's probably a lot of stuff that people do. If you actually read what the, the Howie clause was, it like that, that's a lot of what they stem, whether or not something's a security in crypto. Like it has to do with some 1933, like, orange farm that they were essentially like giving away shares or ownership of an orange farm and they never actually even sold the shares they like just gave it out to all of their original customers and for whatever reason they got in trouble for it if an orange farm did that today like nobody would even know that was illegal we'd probably be like oh that's so innovative and then you'd be like no that's literally like a violation of the howey test but before 2016 i never even knew what the howey test was so right I think we've all become like semi-experts. Like just if you launch a protocol and you don't have an attorney and you live in the US, get one. But get one that isn't like, this is all illegal because that's what some of them will say. And if we had listened to them, then we wouldn't have DeFi and we wouldn't have NFTs. So I'm like super bullish actually that the I don't view um, regulation as nefariously as other people. I, th- I view like our government at aggregate and like the powers that be as being nefarious. But I think just regulation in general, I think that it just like hasn't caught up to what's happening yeah. right now. And I, I think for a lot of purposes, like Uber was illegal, you know, like, and, right. you know, they didn't, they didn't get in trouble. I, I mean, I think in the most part, if you're not doing an outright scam and you're trying to create regulation and if you're not flying in the face and saying, you know, bad things about the SEC, they're probably going to work with you, but you don't want to just be like too, you don't want to be like the rebel in this industry. Yeah, you don't want to be just well, because there's there's a couple of things. One, they'll make an example of you, which yep. you don't want to have happen, <laughs> obviously. Yep. And yeah, I I think that what we're what everyone is asking for. Well, maybe some people are totally against this, but just the idea of clarity. Like we need clarity. Like that. That's how we pay our taxes in the right ways when it comes to DeFi and all these things that we just don't know how to do right now. But but yeah, clarity is going to be key to to all this stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of the the clarity thing. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm not libertarian the way. So, I mean, that's the problem with crypto. Is some people are just so libertarian that they're like, no regulation. We hate the government, and it's you know, I actually would love to have regulation just because it will provide clarity, and yes, then we know same. what we can and can't do. Right? Like, yes. I may not agree with it all, but I'd also, you know, I'm building protocols. I'm not running for senate, so I don't make the rules. Yeah, and it's I'm 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 a dabbler hacker person that's in here kicking the tires on a bunch of different DeFi things. Like I got a couple of little baby girls. Like the last thing I want is to like do something illegal, you know. So it's just like trying to figure out how to play and experiment and and learn and push push the boundaries in a in a positive way. 
but also not be in jail. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't want to so, do anything, you know, to, to tip the radar. I mean, I, a lot of what we're doing with universe, which like I could get into later is I do believe in decentralization and some of what I've done, even with Barnbridge, I think has pushed the envelope of like more so like this is the way things should be in terms of a regulatory standpoint and m- more so saying, I believe that, well, I'll just give an example. So like with Barnbridge, we went Dow first and we were like the first group that ever did that. And so there is no company with Barnbridge. There never was like same with actually universe. Like we, because it worked with Barnbridge, we just started with a Dow and we pushed for decentralization from the very beginning. Like there was never a foundation. We never hoarded all the tokens for ourselves. We very much wanted to put them out into the hands of the community of like thousands and thousands of people around the world and empower them to make these decisions. And in some cases that spans like regulatory frameworks because like there's people in, you know, this area or that area and some of them are, you know, like an anonymous of human. It's, you don't even actually know who they are, but they rise up in your community and have a say. And it's very similar to the hacker community. And I mean, honestly, a lot of what, what it's, it's a little bit of a expansion on what you did with dig that kind of turned into what will Reddit kind of, I don't know the backstory between Reddit and dig. I'm not going to make you talk about, but like the main (laughs) thing that I think that they actually did that was proper was they added like the human element. And then you could actually have a profile on there. You weren't just like upvoting. And then you actually had a, like a character name on there, right? And it, it it didn't have to be your character. Now, you weren't like completely anonymous like you are on like a decentralized protocol, but it, it was a step in the right direction to say like, all right, I can come on here and speak my mind and then essentially like have, you know, not have to like tie it to like I'm a lawyer. I don't need to tie it to my legal name. So if you kind of think of that in the context of what's happening in DeFi, there's these like anonymous characters that are coming up through these like Discord, Twitter groups. They're making a name for themselves, but they actually have a token and ownership of voting on the platform. So like they act in the inherent best interest of the aggregate group because, you know, they only own so much of it that by acting in the aggregate best interest of the entire group, you know, they're acting in the best interest of themselves uh, at the same time. So it's one of those things where it's, you know, is is this in the best interest of the community or is it just in the best interest of one? You don't really have to have that conversation because you're all kind of interwoven in, in that situation unless you're like going to get a job at the protocol or something. Right. So I think that in that respect, yeah, there's real innovation there in the way that all of these platforms are managed. And so I kind of saw that and said, well, I mean, if it's a DAO and it's a decentralized protocol and you're pushing these out into the hands of the community across the world, at some point you're going to flip the the barometer of decentralization where it makes it very difficult, like so long as you don't have an ICO, but the, again, the ICO has to go into a foundation. You have SAFs, you have all these investors. We never really did it that way. We just kind of funded the protocols and we gave them all away. And that was, in my opinion, one of the more innovative like launch things that I've seen a DeFi protocol do. And I didn't make it up. I just worked with like my team and Kane from Synthetics. And I very much saw it and said, like, I, I like this as a, as a launch framework, not only from a regulatory perspective, but more so from a decentralization perspective. And then I think 
you can also kind of see that with what we're doing with universe that it's, you know, these, all these things with like open sea, rareable there, those are like Zora. Those are like companies, right? And yeah, they operate on the blockchain and they sell NFTs and accept crypto as money, but they're just companies with the react interface. So I, even with DeFi, I started looking at it and I was like, well, we need to decentralize the interface layer so that no like singular company can come in and, you know, essentially prohibit like someone from saying something that the community doesn't want them to say. So what I mean by that is go back to Reddit analogy. Like you have someone like, uh, Julian Assange, like Mendax, that's clearly saying stuff on the internet that people don't want him to be saying. And then like with Reddit, there's like that conspiracy theory, whether you believe it or not, that Ghislaine Maxwell is actually the Maxwell Island or like the one of the top karma Reddit posts that just basically got shut down after she got or stopped posting after she got arrested. Well, like she, if that was her, she was clearly in a crew that she had a voice, but that was a tight knit group of people. No one else knew that that's who that person was. And a lot of people on Reddit may or may not have even, even liked the stuff that she was saying. But then there's other people like that just get completely shut off the internet. Julian Assange. Well, I, it's not the government that actually shuts them down, whether it's like the US government or whether it's the Chinese government or whatever centralized th- power or authority that that is, whether it's Reddit, Facebook, Google, a, a major world government, or even like a group of government, governments like NAFTA, or the UN, or, you know, whoever's like censoring. But it's actually better if you can have a community of people that actually own that protocol and interface and they kind of make those decisions. And then I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what the outcome of that's going to be, but I think it's inevitable. And I mean, I'm here for it to kind of watch it, but I do think that if those, if those technologies are enabled in order to kind of empower that anti-censorship movement, you do have to decentralize the interface layer. And I think that's probably out of this crypto cycle, what I'm most excited about is I think if you look back to the narrative in 2017 with like, why do we, I mean, 2019, 2017, even 2015, like, why do we all get into crypto? It was clear that like the governments around the world couldn't just keep printing money forever. And that like these central banks and these centralized authorities making these decisions that most of the people around the world inherently don't agree with. That's what really put crypto on the pedestal. And then, you know, it turned into the ICO boom and everyone was like, oh, I'm going to make like the Uber of Ethereum. Well, like we should have, I mean, hindsight's 2020, but like we should have known, like, of course, decentralized finance was going to be the first killer app of Ethereum because that was the macro narrative that like put it all into the limelight back then. I think if you look into 2020 and 2021, it's going to be the same thing where we look back and we're like, how did we not know that the killer use case of NFTs wasn't necessarily going to be like art or music inherently in and of itself as something you could own, but it truly will most likely be the anti-censorship technology that comes out of it. Like the inability to take those things down, the inability to silence and censor people, which I'm a believer in free speech. I think that if the community, the community will naturally shun and act in their own best interest to get like Nazi paraphernalia or like child pornography, they'll, they will censor that themselves in the same way that Reddit or, you know, Facebook essentially would, people would pull that off if they had the power to. So I believe in the collectivist, 
like the collectiveness of human beings to kind of censor their own speech without, you know, government intermediaries needing to get involved in every aspect of that. Do you think that that is, does that mean to you like it's something that is hidden, but not removed? Because in in some sense, you know, let's just say something horrible like child pornography, like if that were to be put onto a network that where it can't be removed, then it, then you're essentially just going well, to have to play whack-a-mole. It has been, and it, and it is now, right? Like it's on the internet. It's on the, it's, 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 you can access that on the internet right now, like through like Tor browsers, like there's all sorts of, what we know is the internet is like not the internet. I mean, that's like what that picture with the iceberg, it's got the rest of it all up underneath it. Like we, so through like Google and pretty much like any operating system, you're, you're not really accessing the internet. You're accessing, you're accessing an internet that's like socially acceptable and all of us like, take in and there is child porn already printed on bitcoin but nobody's pointing to that node and like pulling it up i mean like oh i didn't know that i don't even think people know that that's even there right i mean i know that it exists on random tour servers on in in but those can get taken down right and then it goes away if we can find out the source and where it's actually located but you're saying that it is in it is being cemented into the blockchain in some sense yeah, I mean it I mean it already has and I don't know if it was like government bodies that did that to try to censor it in the first place but like it's it's there and it can't be taken down in the same way that like it's on the internet and it can't be taken down. So I think a lot of what people are worried about like the anti-censorship component of NFTs, I mean that it's no different than the internet. Now what but what I am more saying is I don't think that Google should be able to have the power of what they can and can't point to. I think that the people that use Google should have the power to say what they can and can't point to. And I think that the people will most likely fall in line with the government because like none of us are truly anonymous on the internet. So if you're on there doing crazy stuff, let's say that Google was a decentralized interface that was running on like Definity, which is probably somewhere that you can run a fully decentralized React layer. Well, I think that that if you have a DAO on Ethereum that is financially incentivized to kind of monitor what is on that React layer, the people in that DAO can vote on it. And even if it's 100,000 people, I think they'll probably do a good job of that. And I think that's better than the alternative of just saying, well this technology shouldn't exist at all because people are going to use it in a nefarious fashion. I think that it'll fix itself. Yeah. You actually had a really good point and I'm, I'm, I'm leaning, I totally buying what you're saying. I I think that your analogy around actually was one of the things that we fault, we had an issue with at dig when dig was bigger than Reddit, you know, we were uh, a very centralized, like a handful of users, like that were the big players in our community. We're promoting stories to the front page we had community moderators that would go and try and look for spam and look for garbage, but you really can't scale that side of it. Uh, Reddit came along and said, well, we're going to play the long tail game. You can create any subreddit, but we're going to put the governance in the hands of the people that care most about that type of content. So if you have a subreddit about knitting, the governance and the pruning of the community and banning of, of people, whatever it may be, all of that heavy lifting is not done by global Reddit administrators, but it's done by those that care most about that community. So in essence, you're kind of saying like DAOs will be the same thing where you'll get a collection of people that come together that are so passionate about something that they act in the best interest 
of that community. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, but even taking it a step further, like I'm probably never going to be able to like go to China after I say this, but like China, <laughs> China invested in Reddit, right? And so like I think that 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 community was very inherently like they definitely like sway like more liberal in the US but I think like for the average like tech person that's using Reddit that's fine right because we probably all would censor that the same way but I don't think any of us like what's going on with Hong Kong and when that company like Tencent or whatever invested into Reddit you saw like a clear shift in censorship towards like anti like China sentiment and that was not made by the people of those subreddits That's or the mods point. of those subreddits. It was made by the the people at aggregate at Reddit that clearly had to. Well, you that's know, because talk. there's still an overarching centralized organization that's pulling it, the strings. Exactly, and that's what that's what I want to like demolish is to say that I think the people did a better job with Reddit with, and I don't. I mean, I'm more. My alliance is to the people over even the U.S. government or even to the Chinese government. I think that people do a fine job of moderating themselves within their local communities and within their, within their internet communities. And if, if, if one of those communities gets extremely out of line and starts, you know, posting child porn or Nazi paraphernalia, like propaganda, like then the, I think that the aggregate DAO should be able to kind of vote those things away. But I think that you can localize government governance the way that Reddit did, but it would have been cooler. And I don't think this could have existed before blockchain. And this is a big part of what like universe is about is it's kind of a mixture between Reddit, Wikipedia, and then just generalized like NFT auction place, like being able to go and meet people on the it's like if you mix like discord reddit and wikipedia together with some type of like showcase that you could see their nfts and people could go and launch nfts on there yeah let's get into this let's get into universe because this is so cool and it's actually how we were introduced is you started working on this project one final thing to say about that is to the way that that operates at aggregate right if any of those groups get go rogue or just completely buck the system. So let's say there's a hundred thousand subreddits on universe, right? I think that 999,999 of the other ones don't want that one posting child porn or Nazi propaganda. Like they, they will do that on their own. But I don't think that me, Tyler Ward, the creator of universe should have that power. And I don't think anybody should. I think that people will naturally do that on their own. And that's why I think we have to not only decentralize governance into DAOs, and I think that that will, in 30 years, we'll look back and say that was one of the most like groundbreaking technologies that ever came about of was DAOs, but they're not going to exist properly unless we can decentralize that interface layer. And I mean, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, that's that's really exciting. I, I'm really want to dive into universe and talk about this crazy, crazy, crazy idea. And I'd say that in, with the best kind of crazy, like the 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 this might change everything kind of crazy. Tell me <laughs> about the white paper. Kind of walk me through this. You know, the white paper. I just read it again before our interview. There's a lot to let sink in there. You know. Like, how can you break that down into something that, like, just components of what you're building, and and through through the lens of someone coming into this, what can they expect out of universe? What is it going to create? Can can you break it apart for us? Yeah. So I, I think early on, so 
first thing about universe is if you read the white paper in its current state now, there's definitely stuff in there that we're planning on building that isn't in the white paper right now because it's very TBD on essentially like how we're going to go about doing it. So there's like the immediate term plan and then there's the long-term plan and then also kind of how it all came about. I knew that I wanted to build this decentralized interface layer more so for DeFi going all the way back since November. And I was really looking at it more so for BarnBridge because I knew that some of these like financial NFTs were going to need like the ability for communities to be able to pull those things down on their own just because I... I more so because I thought there was going to be a lot of like scams that came about from them. And I was like, well, I don't want to have to manage that. So I'd rather like our DAO manage that and have the ability to pull those down. But unless the interface is decentralized and I'm not going to be able to. And that's where I got into thinking about all of this. And I was planning on launching something like this with my co-founder from Barnbridge, Troy Murray, who we've worked, I mean, he's worked in decentralized media way before me. And he's kind of the one that got me into it and got me into DAOs. But when I launched uh, Non-Fungible Pepe, like the way that it blew up, well, first of all, it was like kind of overwhelming. And I didn't know that like Pepe had a founder and I found out the hard way that it does and had to shut the project down. But we had so many kind of like smart people in this community that we had built that I really sat down and thought probably for two weeks, you know, what do I do with this? What do I build? And I saw it as an opportunity to say, well, this really fits into that narrative of long-term doing the whole decentralized interface thing. And so that's, that's where I would say that all of this started. And the reason it took a while to kind of come together and was disorganized was more just because of the hype of selling, you know, $3 million worth of pixelated frogs over a weekend. I was not expecting that. And that was kind of what even kicked off. It was like the first like true punk fork. And then now like the whole NFT space is like crypto, pixel art, everything. But that wasn't like the intention of it. But I really was like, okay, well, I mean, I'm not just going to go start a bunch of like cash grab NFT projects. I want to build like real guts and infrastructure for this industry. So another thing that I would say is like just being an entrepreneur, me, so the, the guy who I got involved with non-fungible Pepe was this guy named, um, Tim Kang, who's like his like moniker's illustrator. And you should actually have him on the show. Cause he, the reason I reached out to him is I reached out to this guy named Jimmy, which is like J one MMY. And he's the guy that got me into NFTs and started Avastars. But I knew Jimmy was kind of building his own project. And I, I, I think. Jimmy, Pranksy, and Tim are probably like the three, they are like the three OG know what they're doing, like NFT people. Pranksy and Jimmy, even more than Tim in terms of OG, but Tim just has, he's like a massive NFT collector. Everyone in the industry knows him. So I reached out to him because I knew he was like a massive Barnbridge whale. And I I just liked him because he liked my project. When I told him about NFP, he was like, well, we got to do this. And he was a coder and like I had seen some of the stuff he had built. And so I was trying to do this all on Jimmy's platform. And then basically the his tech was down because he was building a bunch of new stuff. Like he's trying to build like the Shopify of NFTs. I have nothing but respect for him. And so when I couldn't use his software, which is what I minted all these NFTs for Barnbridge with, I basically just went to Tim. I was like, well, do you even know how we're going to make this? Because I've got all these people involved and I 
I don't have a platform to launch these from and I really don't have time to write a bunch of smart contracts. I can read them, but I haven't written them in years. And so Tim helped me out, but it was like a massive pain in the ass to actually make like truly decentralized like NFTs, like rareables are stored on. I'm not going to go through like the whole industry and shit on everybody right now, but let's just say that the the type of technology that I was trying to create for non-fungible Pepe's was it didn't exist and I, it still doesn't. And even some of the ones that are good and getting better, they're not DAO run and community run. It's what I got to before. They're just like companies. So that was like the first eureka moment of like, why the hell has nobody built this? There's all these collections dropping everywhere and there's not even a good format for someone to truly make like immutable, uncensorable NFTs. Like they can just get pulled down over here, pulled down over there. They're you know, it may not even be by choice. Maybe the IPFS node goes out. Maybe they're like on AWS, right? And yeah. so bringing all that together, I was like, well, we definitely need to build that and build it properly. So, and then the final, I would say, realization was, well, like, what is like NFP at this point? Like, if you're thinking about this, like, effectually of what do I have and like, where can I go from here as opposed to this is where I want to get and these are the things I need to get there. I very much had a community. Like I had a lot of like hype. There were a lot of Twitter followers. A lot of people knew the team who had built it. There were a lot of very, very intelligent uh, and smart people, not only in our Discord, but like in our internal Telegram, like all the major like DeFi founders and a lot of the OGs of NFTs kind of flock, flocked around the project. So I just said, well, all right, bringing all this together, like we have a community, there's, if, if we could essentially have a place where you could not only like mint NFTs and auction them the right way, have it be DAO driven, DAO first and community run, but then people can kind of stay there and run their communities there, split them out into think of every collection as almost like a separate subreddit. Then you really have something extremely powerful there. Because an NFT doesn't have to be these like crypto punk collections. It can be a movie. It can be a TV series on the bonding curve that, you know, the final Game of Thrones needs to be like crowdsourced in order to watch it. And the people of the DAO come together and help produce it along the way. Well, like that would all be through this kind of social construct that they're able to all go through. And so when I really started to think through, well, this is a really powerful idea. I'm sure it's going to piss off Hollywood if it works. So that is where I got back into the the anti-censorship component was like, well, if I ever had a reason that I was going to build decentralized interfaces other than for Barnbridge, this is definitely it. And so that's that's 100% like where I kind of brought it all together. And I say me collectively because... Barnbridge was my idea. Like it was a hundred percent something that like I made up and wrote the white paper for and kind of championed through the industry and built a team and all of that. But like this was very much like it started as a community and it, it's grown out as a community. So it kind of expands in its scope and then we all kind of come together and pull it back in. It expands and we pull it back in. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely pushed it in the right direction. And I think it was the collection of a lot of ideas and things I wanted to do all together. But part of it, I would say more of it, it drove itself the way that a decentralized protocol should. Gotcha. And then 
what would you say you, you talk a lot about it, the decentralized nature of things and just, you know, some of the problems with existing minting on the NFT side, you know, I, I understand totally not wanting to go in and, and just like shit on a bunch of other projects, but like, how is yours different on the minting side? Like what will you be doing that actually makes it immutable? And, and what, if you're not leaving Ethereum, how are you going to guarantee these images stick around say versus an IPFS node going down? Yep. So that's a really good question. I think one of them is it's not getting into like over engineering, but I think the NFTs like as a structured token will still live on Ethereum, but in the Ethereum metadata, you can point various places. So like it's way too expensive to mint even like a megabyte on Ethereum is probably like $10,000. And that's not like replicable. Nobody's launching a like feature length film, like the Titanic is, you know, that's the most expensive thing now about making the Titanic is minting it, but the boat and the movie, but the, so I'm more talking about like just the metadata and like where it hashes to like, I still think that's going to stay on Ethereum. This, this is very similar to like my theory in DeFi that I think that a lot of the derivative products and a lot of what like has to be immutable is going to stay on Ethereum. And I, I'm not an, I'm not an Ethereum maximalist. I'm just practical in knowing that Ethereum is the most secure blockchain that has smart contracts. So Bitcoin's the most decentralized and most secure blockchain, arguably. So like, I'm not trying to piss off all the Bitcoin maxis, but it is Ethereum without a question is the most secure smart contract platform. So the basis of where everything points to will probably be on Ethereum. And we, we may even make our own versions of ERC 721s in order to kind of determine what they can hold and what they can point to. But that's a story for another day. But where everything's pointing to on Ethereum, that's what the problem is. And so like our dev team at Barnbridge, they wrote a lot of the dev tooling for Filecoin from a storage component. We understand like IPFS like deeply. We're, we built a lot of stuff on Arweave. And then I also truly think, especially after getting access to their testnet, that Definity is going to change the game in terms of probably more like the React layer, but there is going to be compute. It's almost more like you can run computations on it, which is exciting. So I think the, the structure and format of like various technologies that we're running as opposed to the problem with them now is they're, they're a little bit lazy and it's more so for pricing that it's, we're going to do this here and then we're going to essentially point it here and we're just going to put it on IPFS node. And part of that's the nascent, it's the industry's nascent. But getting back to what I was saying about DeFi, you can like, the true primitives are going to live on Ethereum for DeFi, but that doesn't mean that all like the borrowing and lending and actual like options trading or like the, like the, the super transactional stuff is, is going to end up on a layer two. I mean, it, it may even in that it may end up on Definity, but like final finality is always going to revert back to the base chain, which is going to be, uh, Ethereum, like even Bitcoin. Most Bitcoin transactions will settle on Bitcoin and they'll also be verified on Ethereum. But so like with, with NFTs, like you don't have to build all of this on Ethereum. It's kind of practical that you don't, but it's super lazy just to point to an IPFS node. And so I, the way that we've constructed everything is very much kind of the same as 
where I'm talking about like where universe goes long term, there's kind of short term and long term. Like short term is already an upgrade on the rest of the industry in terms of all the different places that the images will live. And then like how will a music NFT be different than video NFT and how we structure those. But then also like long term, once we have that React interface layer driven, then you have the full, that's the holy grail of uh, decentralization where you have a DAO running on Ethereum, maybe governance is on even Polkadot where transactional decisions are made and then finality happens on Ethereum. Then it actually sends the money somewhere else, like a Definity like canister that runs computations that essentially those computations pull back from a storage component that may be on Filecoin. Like now you truly have built like a, and like that is un, uncensorable media at that point. Like the only people who are able to pull that down or affect what is being shown is you either have to go around the world and blow up every single Filecoin and Definity canister, which is good luck. So you, you have to then put it in the, in the hands of the community that are governing that through a DAO. And so that's where it gets back to this is, you know, it's not, it's not uncensorable in the sense that it can't be hidden from the interface, but it's uncensorable in the sense that if that community of people that are running it don't want it down, it's not coming. Right. And, and so how would, when you see this first version of universe launching, and you talk about, you know, the short, medium, and kind of long-term plans for it. What is someone that that's listening to this and says, this all sounds like some crazy stuff. Like how, how but how can I get involved? Like how can someone join up? What can they do? When does version one actually ship? The governance ships on uh, Monday. But so today's the May 19th, if someone's listening to this in the future. So May 21st, 4th of 2021, I guess since it's software, let's call it, that week in case something gets set back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't know, it's pretty pretty far along. So by the end of this month, we're going to launch that. I do think it will be Monday, but the so that's the governance. It doesn't really govern anything yet, but it at least can signal it it governs the token and like the distribution of the token. So like similar to Barnbridge, we will start distributing governance before the protocol launches. The protocol smart contracts are done. And so to answer your question head on, that's the true V1. DAO of governance with the token that doesn't govern anything is, it's not, I mean, it's at best a Ponzi scheme. At worst, it's worthless. But basically the actual protocol, which will be minting and auction contracts, that launches, my dev team will get pissed at me, but it's going to launch in June. Like I would be almost positive. I would say maybe even midway through June. The smart contracts are done. We have audits lined up. The front end is, at this point, the front end is done for a beta launch, but like we're, we're behind on the back end because the DAO back end probably took longer than we were expecting, but that was more because we were planning on forking the Barnbridge DAO one-to-one and then we changed some components about it that, I mean, they're kind of irrelevant. It was just like, a different project, different reasons that we did different things. And then in some ways we improved on some of the things that I thought could have been better in our original governance launch. But long story short is that the we're on the front end, we're just like tweaking things because we have the time on the back end. I don't think it's going to take more than, than three weeks from here. So unless something catastrophic happens, I 
I think three, three to five weeks is a pretty reasonable expectation of when it launches. And so what that will essentially launch as is you'll have a DAO on Ethereum that's making governance decisions that are then powering a protocol like a, like an OpenSea or a Rarible that can essentially mint and run auctions, like decentralized auctions. And that DAO will determine, you know, what, what auctions are what are called core drop auctions, which are, you can almost think of it like a crone job, like where we have like artists and designers that the DAO commissions to do things that we launch and like that a revenue goes back to the DAO and the people of the DAO kind of determine what we do with it from there. Then past that, we will also have like premium auctions. So like Tim's, I don't want to like name drop celebrities, but like Tim's talked with everyone from like Paris Hilton to like Justin Bieber and like Blau being involved in this project. Like he brings a lot of people. We actually modeled a lot of the way that the auction contracts work off of Justin Blau's auction with Origin, which I don't want to like step out of line, but like it wasn't as decentralized as I think any of us thought when, when it launched. So we, we built a lot of the components of this is how this probably should have worked. And so like the DAO will determine what are considered kind of premium, like rise to the top. Like when you go on Rarible. So there's some curation, on, basically. That's the curation aspect of it. Yep. And there, I think we'll probably elect councils to handle some of that longer term. And then just anybody's going to be able to come and kind of mint things and launch their own collections and launch their own communities. Now, like the DAO will be able to pull that stuff down if, again, they're doing something crazy or everybody votes to essentially not approve it. And that's what it'll exist at in the beginning is it will be a, it will be a community run open sea or rare. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool because it's for the first time, well, you're right in that we have governance working in DAOs to like go out and do very specific things out there. Like they're almost like investors in some sense, like some of the best DAOs out there, like, you know, Flamingo and others, they go out and they buy up things, but they're not really running projects tied to NFTs that I've seen. They are in DeFi. So like Polychain, who's one, I think they are the biggest, crypto investment fund in the world. They were the first for sure. That was their uh, main question to me is what are your tokenomics of the way that this, like why does universe need a token? And I basically told them like, this is working in DeFi. There are DAOs like that are running financial protocols that are doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. And Mm -hmm. I don't foresee any reason in the world that that same model cannot work for a decentralized Disney or a decentralized open sea or anything else. So that was very mm. much the basis of kind of where this thought came from is I think I probably was one of the, I don't know if I was the first, but I think I probably was to say it's working in decentralized finance. Why can't it work for any decentralized anything? Like this token model has worked better than anything else for governance. So I, I'm not going to, I'm just going to copy it to something else that doesn't have anything to do with finance. Yeah, that is so cool. Because you're right, like you take any of the major decentralized kind of, I mean, Uniswap or any of the others, they're they're taking, yeah, I know it's not a quote unquote DAO structure, but they're taking a percentage of every transaction and, and flowing it back into the, 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 well, they're figuring out how to do it. I guess Sushi is probably the best one that ha, has a reserve set up where the, some of the proceeds go back into that reserve and then they vote on what to do with those proceeds. So it's essentially yep. applying those mechanics to the NFT world. A hundred percent. 
And then what is for an artist when they're coming in, you're going to have better tooling so, and you know something that they can believe will stand the test of time. So it's not going to be something like they're, they're doing it in some centralized organization and all of a sudden, 10 years from now, that falls out of favor and it goes away and now their art is lost forever, more or less, right? They stop paying the IPFS <laughs> bills. <laughs> Impressed and surprised by artists in particular is, I don't want to say I think like artists aren't like sophisticated software technology understanders, but you definitely don't like look at the, look at a musician and you're like, man, this guy like is going to understand this concept of why this is important that it's done this way and like why it's important that this group of people around the world can do it. But they really actually vibe with it way more. And they, we've had a lot of interest in what we're doing, not because like they, inherently like we like went out and found them and pitched them on it and told them this is the way to do it it's almost like they found us because they looked into the other platforms and kind of realized the same thing so i think i think that there is a real demand for what people are like want they want what we're building it just doesn't it doesn't exist a lot of them want even more control that they truly run their own like kind of everything soup to nuts and I mean, maybe they could just fork us down the road if they want to, I don't know, <laughs> build their own DAO. But yeah, I, I've been very surprised at how much they are like, I don't want some centralized organization owning all of this. I definitely don't want it to go down. And when you kind of explain to them how DAOs work, they're like, oh my God, I love that. Because they almost think, well, my fans run my community then. Like they, like that's right. exciting for them. Yeah, actually, that was going to be my next question. You know, when we first got going, you mentioned how this universe project is going to be a kind of combination of, you know, Discord and Reddit and a few other things that are all kind of combined into one. You know, we've covered the minting side, the auction piece, the OpenSea kind of interface for, you know, browsing and purchasing stuff or bidding on it. Really curious, how do you think about the community piece? Like if someone's fans come in and they want to engage with this artist or, you know, are, are you going to be doing more of the, the, the chat or like what, what types of social features will you have built into this over the long term? I think decentralized. So I used to work with the decentralized chat protocol. That was one thing that that company I ran that I said was the interface and like branding company that I ran. I worked with, let's call it 30 different crypto companies. And so I did work with a decentralized messaging protocol called silo and i think i learned from working with them there's other ones like status like i'm not trying to start that that's i'm gonna let like the guy who like the silo guys the status guys like mobile coin like they can go figure out how to make like and like censorship resistant chat because that is very 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 difficult but like at scale the way that this works is i think reddit is actually a format that would work where like even within the crypto community, I mean, the, the crypto like reddits have kind of gotten like a little more spammy and ridiculous, but that's uh, in a, in a large part due to bad moderation where they're kind of getting paid to shill certain tokens, like they're, they're gated. So if you can, it, but it did work in crypto until it didn't work. And then the other component that I would say is just like generalized, like learning or being able to kind of see like from a social perspective, like this guy that I'm talking to, if I could just click into his picture and be able to see what NFTs he owns, like G Money is, he like owns a crypto punk ape and he ended up like sending me his wallet and I saw he like owned the zombie that he sold the other day for one and a half million dollars. 
I would just like the love to see what, what the hell else does he own? And Tim, like my partner that I launched this with, he's like building like curated galleries. Like he owns like crazy amounts of NFTs. And like when I talk with them, like I would like to just be able to click in and kind of like see what they actually have. So I more went for the format of Reddit because I think it compiles information better than Discord. If you go in our Discord, it's chaos. There's so many people talking and things end up getting lost. So like having the ability to kind of like index things in a Reddit format, I think is superior. I don't think it'll look exactly like Reddit, but then also kind of having a wiki that the community kind of adds to of what is this community even about, but then also just you'll have your own role in there. You'll be able to click into it. You'll be able to see what other NFTs they own. If it's an artist that's super active in there and he's kind of pushing his own art, then like he doesn't have to shill it. It's just by having a voice and saying relevant things, he can kind of build clout that will help his his own community that he's working on. So it's not going to look exactly like Reddit mixed with Wikipedia, but it will look something like that, but with the ability to also kind of have the showcase of what you own or also even like what you've created if you're an artist versus a collector. But let me put like a massive caveat in there that I'm I'm going to very much push that this is a modular software that you can bolt things into. So like we'll have generalized approved like bolts, bolt-ons that like we could build through the DAO and then a community can choose to add them or not. So if a decentralized messaging protocol comes out that everybody's obsessed with, well, like we would then build that integration in, or they could build it into us. And then the DAO would approve to be like, yeah, this is appropriate. And so that's where like, we talk about money Legos a lot in DeFi of the composability of like the DeFi ecosystem where you can kind of permissionlessly plug into things. I don't want to lose that when we create universe where it becomes this walled garden. I very much want the modular composability that has made DeFi extremely successful. And I, I think NFTs are arguably more successful than, than DeFi at this point. But I think that's more because like art is, has more mainstream appeal. I think from a financial aspect, the protocols running on the, the most successful decentralized protocols in the world are all DeFi protocols. So I think I want to take some of what made that successful and bolt it into NFTs. So the, the modularity and I mean, it's not a money Lego. It's like a, let's start calling it like community Legos or something, but that composability is still very important to me. Yeah, that makes sense. If people are listening to this and, you know, obviously it's going to be out, I think, a week later than from from now. So you'll have launched the DAO side of things. How can people contribute? Can they still sign up? Is there ways to purchase uh, these tokens or what, what's going to happen there? Well, we'll have so we'll incentivize. We won't sell them. Um, the way that it will essentially work is. We will, we picked like seven different tokens from like deep DeFi communities that we want to align ourselves with. One of them is Bond, which is the protocol I started, Barnbridge, but there's a lot of overlap naturally between the universe community and Barnbridge because, you know, they, they, they know that we bust our ass and we've done a really good job with building Barnbridge. It's been a very successful protocol. So they've followed us into what we're kind of doing over here now. So I know they're going to already come. So we want to align ourselves with them longer term. And there's some... Barnbridge also was the first protocol... I don't know this for a fact, but it 
of my knowledge, it was the first protocol that really started pushing financial NFTs. Like our, our senior positions, like our lower risk fixed income positions are actually non-fungible tokens. And I don't, I don't think that it was like something that was massively innovative that wouldn't have happened without us, but we were very, we pushed that and really shouted at the top of the industry, you know, anything with the maturity needs to be an NFT, why I kind of got into this in the first place. So there will be stuff that we can integrate longer term with Barnbridge, which is why I think it's important. That's more just to kind of tell everybody like, yeah, I picked my own token, but we have reasons for it. But then outside of that, there's Synthetics, who probably has like the second strongest DeFi community in all of crypto after uh, Chainlink. Like the Link Marines are pretty uh, crazy. And so like Kane, I'm crazy in a good way, but Kane, the founder of Synthetics, he invested in Barnbridge. He really pushed forward this DAO first theory that I then went out and implemented he was he's invested in universe he's been nothing but helpful he is a part of this so snx link it's link god and was like he's like the main like anonymous frog of crypto twitter was a part of this project and then i'm just going to go through the rest cuz i don't want to waste everybody's time but it's like ave alluvium is a really cool nft game that kane's brother kieran started that will be launching soon. It's like a very high effort. Like they've spent a very long time. I mean, they've raised probably $5 million and then did an IDO because they're allowed to do that because they're in Australia and raised like another 45 million. So like the Alluvium community has been super supportive of us. And then the other two are Compound, which is another massive DeFi protocol. And then Sushi, because OX Maki was, has been really supportive of the project. He, he even helped with some of like when we were back in the NFP days. And then another reason that we utilize the Sushi token is the same reason you said earlier. Like it is one of the most like successful decentralized community. It's into that YFI ecosystem. They're very tight knit, but also Sushi will be like the, they launched to a layer two called Polygon that we're looking at for some of the technology, but also there'll be the pool that we incentivize. So like we will not actually sell the tokens. We will allow the, these, all these communities to come in and stake on our protocol and they will get tokens as like a proof of capital. But really in this scenario, we call it proof of capital in DeFi. But in this scenario for us, I'll call it proof of community. So if you can use your tokens that you're a part of that community and then you can come in and stake on the protocol, we will give a portion of the tokens away to those people. And then the founders, the early contributors, a lot of, we very much like tracked all of the people like in our Discord, not like nefariously, like we don't have any of their info. We just track their username so that they can actually post a wallet. So I think there's like 4,000 of those people who have their wallets. Like all the people that bid on OpenSea for like the original like non-fungible Pepe's, like that's amazing. We ran, we basically wrote a script that got all of their wallets. So like pretty much anybody who's helped our project, like going all the way back to January is going to end up getting tokens. And then also those like seven communities we want to align ourselves with. And then the way that anyone listening to this, that's just more so they understand like, where does the token come from if we're not the ones selling it on this sushi? So I don't believe that we should be the ones to sell it. So I think that the community in the beginning should be who can sell it. So we will actually incentivize a uh, portion of the token supply that some that people essentially go on sushi and 
make a market on sushi. And then the token holders are going to be the ones that end up, you know, being able to determine the price and set the price and set the markets. I just think as a founder, I'm in the US. I don't, I don't think it should be me doing all of that. So instead, we're just going to incentivize it. So there will be liquidity. I think if someone, if this launches next week, the token probably won't release because it'll launch on Monday actual yield farming. It'll be like a timed epoch and they'll be able to come in, even if it's like day three or four, get those tokens. We'll release a whole bunch of medium articles on how it works. And then they'll basically be able to then come on and stake. And if they stake those tokens, they will get them. They don't have that. They don't lose the token. We don't do anything with them. So they'll be able to pull their token of their community that they're in back out. And then they can go essentially make a market in the sushi pool. Or if they don't want to do all of that, they can just go on sushi and buy the token from someone else who went through this process. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on to chat about this. I know you're super busy, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. One one last question that I try to ask most guests is, you know, well, a couple things. One, where can people find you? And then two, are there two or three in you pick, whether it be a traditional like DeFi or traditional coins or NFT, are there certain projects that you're pretty bullish on these days or artists? It could be on the NFT side as well. I would so for some if somebody's really really interested in in NFTs, I would say that someone that probably deserves more like notoriety than me for what's going on there would be a guy named Jimmy. His it's like J one M M Y, and I would almost I I always ask Jimmy, "Am I doing this right?" Is this with the ethos of the community? Just because he was like the guy that was originally saying, go and make sure the metadata's on chain. Like these, like he, he was the guy that really got me passionate about that. But I was again, passionate about it because of the finance side. Cause I was like, well, it's one thing if it's like a picture, it's another thing if it's a hundred million dollar bond that the metadata gets wiped out from an IPFS note. So it was, it was very important to me what he was talking about back then. So I would just say that since that's where I started, I would definitely go check Jimmy out, but then also with the same bucket there, if you join the Larva, if you don't know shit about NFTs, join the Larva Labs Discord, like their co-founders aren't there anymore, but like the community that's just somehow come to exist in Larva Labs, that's the jump spark. That's where the jump off of enter the NFT world, or at least it was like last summer. I don't know if it's gotten like toxic, but that's the spot where like the breeding ground of like coolness and also join our like community for universe because we're super welcoming and have rules if you're a dick we'll kick you out but everybody else is welcome so i would say that's kind of the nft bucket and then if you want to check out like nft projects like alluvium like i talked about earlier there's another one called charge particles i'm really excited about that's well i'll let them look it up and then there's one called immutable x that i'm really excited about but that's kind of super deep nerdy technical stuff on while I'm why I'm excited they're building like a ZK rollup technology that's going to they can check it out it, it may not make sense to them but I'm pumped about immutable x and then on the defi side I just tell people to like go look at the ones on coinbase like most of the defi protocols that have been listed by coinbase I would consider to be like quality projects like the the wifi's of the world the synthetics, Aave, Compound. I, I think a lot of the primitives of what are going to be DeFi in the future have been established. They're 
there may be variations of them in the future, like Barnbridge would be like a primitive for fixed income and yield-based derivatives. <clears throat> but it's almost like it's tough to see why like people would compete head-to-head with those when you could just go build with them because they're DAOs. So I'm not saying that someone else can't win. I just think like the 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 ones that are listed currently on Coinbase are extremely, extremely good projects. I mean, I could be wrong about one or two. Maybe they listed some shit coins. But if you join the Synthetics Discord or the Barnbridge Discord and just poke around and try to figure out what the good projects are, like people are going to help you out. That's one thing that's kind of amazing about crypto is if you go into Telegram, it's kind of like toxic and win moon and win Binance. But if you go into the like discords and you keep an open mind and aren't a dick, like people are definitely going to help you and point you in the right direction. You know, like yeah. a lot of times there's even channels for being like beginner. Yeah, I agree. It seems that for the most part, the community seems to be pretty welcoming. Larva Labs one is fantastic. I, I too learned a ton there. Yeah, I'm very jealous of your zombie. My smiling zombie, yeah, my super honest zombie. He doesn't want to eat you. He's like a very friendly type. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna lie, like that. That was a super like good move that you had that because I'm such like a crypto and decentralization maximalist that I almost like not in like a cocky way, but more of like a like just no, like cutting out the noise way. I really ignore a lot of like traditional software and what I would call like TradFi people. And I mean, I actually knew who you were because of Dig and like kind of the like hacker mentality. So like that was completely different. But like for the fact that you had like a punk that was a zombie, I was like, oh, okay, fuck yeah. Like I immediately like him. I it like it like removed That's any awesome. like, I'm not, I'm going to talk to this guy. And cause I talked to, because of Barnbridge, I talked to like big, VCs that, you know, I'm not going to name any names. Like I'll get on a call with them and it's almost, I'm not like pitching them on Barnbridge. Like they're like sold when they get on. It's like an hour long consulting course. And it's, I don't have time for this, man. Go learn it the same way I did. But the, or you like I could put you in touch with someone from my community and they can teach you what it is. So I like the fact that you had that, I was immediately like, all right, like that's cool as shit. But this was like, appreciate even that. before NFTs blew up. So I like mad props. And then when I yeah, found out that when you got it, I was even more impressed. You were like, I got it when it launched. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was lucky, man. I just, you know, it was one of those things where a buddy tells you like, Hey, go mint a few of these things. And I, I, I do, it's, everyone has this story, but I lost the wallet, you know, and eventually dug it back out and found out it was on some old wallet called parody back in the day. I don't know if you remember that wallet, <laughs> Yep. but I, yeah. And then I had to figure out a way to resurrect that because it had since gone away and it wasn't using the standard, you know, seed phrase kind of like, restore so anyway yeah it all worked out but yeah it's it's been fun to watch this stuff man i i love it it's uh and i love what you're building it's it's gonna be a a first i mean no one's done this before and it has to happen i mean it might as well be you that builds it it makes total sense so thank you for having me along for the journey i'm excited to be involved any way i can help out and uh, yeah let's get some more people checking it out and thanks for coming on the show yeah absolutely man it's always a pleasure All right, that is it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please do me a favor, send it to a friend. Or if there's another episode you enjoyed even more, send that one to another friend. All right, if you want to get our newsletter, quick reminder, modern.finance, all the show notes, newsletter, sign up link, anything and everything that you're gonna need, head on over there and we'll see you soon. Be well.